Okay, I just tried to record this on GarageBand, but I don't really know how to use GarageBand, so it failed. So I'm starting over again. This is Meet Kirsten, an American Girl, and it's the first installment in Kirsten's six-book series. Um, so it's by Janet Shaw, illustrations by Renee Graf, or Graf or something, and then I'm reading it to you. Uh, and it was published in 1986 by The Pleasant Company, and it's dedicated to... I guess Janet's mom, Nadina Nadina Fowler. Okay, table of contents. Kirsten's family and friends. Chapter one, America. Chapter two, lost. Chapter three, across the new land. Chapter four, a sad journey. Chapter five, home at last. And then a looking back segment. So the first part, Kirsten's family. Uh, Kirsten. Who is Kirsten? She's a nine-year-old who moved with her family to a new home on America's frontier in 1854. Um, And then who does her family consist of? It's Papa, it's Lars, Mama, and Peter. Um, And I guess Lars might be the oldest son, and I'm not sure if Peter is older or younger than Kirsten, um, because in a little illustration... Kirsten's not included, which seems kind of mean. Um, And it says, the little caption is, The Larsons sometimes long for Sweden, but they never lose heart for the challenges of pioneer life. And then on the next page of her family and friends um, are Anna, Aunt Inger, Lisbeth, and Uncle Olav. uh, And also Marta in a little circle thing. And Marta is Kirsten's best friend on a long trip from Sweden to Minnesota. (laughs) Um, And these people, the family members that aren't Marta that I named, are Kirsten's American relatives who live on a new farm in Minnesota where they make the Larson family feel at home. Um, And Lisbeth looks like kind of old, like Lars does. And Anna looks kind of young-ish, like Peter does, for reference. Okay, chapter one, America. That's America, Kirsten said happily. She stood at the ship's railing with her friend Marta and pointed to the green strip of land beyond the waves. Overhead, the tall sails creaked in the wind. Marta shaded her eyes and pressed against the railing as though that would make the eagle sail faster. I can't wait to walk on land again, she said, and shivered. Kirsten touched her friend's thin arm. Are you cold? she asked. Let's go sit where the wind isn't so strong. She tucked her rag doll, sorry, into her shawl and walked to a coil of rope that was as high as a barrel. Then she hitched up her skirt and climbed into a space just big enough for the two girls to sit knee to knee and forehead to forehead. Marta crawled in after her. It was warm here in the coiled rope, but the wind still whistled overhead. Kirsten took her handkerchief from her pocket and made a cape for Sari. Marta's doll wore her apron like a shawl. Soon we'll be on land again, Marta told her doll. Don't worry about the wind. Kirsten pulled a piece of hard, dry bread from her apron pocket and broke it in two. She and Marta fed their dolls. (laughs) before they chewed the bread themselves. What's the first thing you want to do in America? Kirsten asked. I want to pick an apple, Marta said dreamily. There are apples everywhere in America. Apples! When Kirsten said the word, she could almost taste the crisp, delicious fruit. We'll pick cherries, too, she said. 
And we'll get fresh bread, Marta added. I think we'll be there by tonight, don't you? Not if it storms again, Kirsten answered. She peered up at the darkening clouds and pulled her shawl more closely around her shoulders. Above her, she saw the sailors crawling into the rigging to adjust the sails. Then she heard Papa's voice. Kirsten, where are you? He called. Kirsten stood and shouted, Here I am, Papa! Papa? Pa- Papa? Uh, strands of blonde hair pulled loose from her braids and whipped across her cheeks when she raised her head above the ropes. Papa's black wool jacket flapped like bull's wings as he crossed the deck. There's a storm coming, Papa said. It could be dangerous. The coast is rocky here and the wind is getting stronger. Papa lifted Kirsten out of the coiled rope. Then he pulled Marta out, too. Come below or we'll be safe, he said. Oh, come below or we'll be safe, he said. The clouds rolled like water, boiling in Mama's black iron pot. The tops of the waves turned white and crashed over the sides of the ship. They dashed onto Kirsten's boots as she scrambled toward the opening in the hold. Towards the opening into the hold. Hurry, Papa said. He held tightly to Kirsten's and Marta's hands. As Kirsten climbed down the ladder into the hold, her spirits sank. Of course she didn't want to be washed overboard by the waves, but it was awful to stay in this small room below the deck. For more than two months, twenty Swedish families had been cramped together here. Each family shared one or two of the bunks that lined the walls, and everything they owned was stored in the large trunks which stood at the ends of the bunks. The air smelled sour now, and it would be worse when people got seasick. Um, ew, okay. Uh, no fresh air could come in when the sailors locked the trapdoor against the waves, and the hold was dark, even in the middle of the afternoon. Just one oil lantern swung and sputtered over some tables in the middle of the room. Kirsten could barely see Mama. Mama. Mom, Mama. Um, okay. Who was lying on her side in the narrow bunk she shared with Kirsten. Here you are, Mama said as Kirsten crawled up beside her. I asked Papa to find you. I don't know where you can hide on such a small ship. Marta and I were playing. We could see land before the storm blew up, Kirsten said. Mama sighed. I prayed there would be no more storms so I could be strong when we land in America, she said. She had been sick since the first day they came aboard the ship, and storms made her feel worse. You'll be strong soon. I'm sure of it. Don't lose heart, Mama, said Kirsten. (laughs) But now the wind howled like a pack of wolves. The waves beat against the ship's hull next to Kirsten's head, and the ship tossed out as though it might tip over. Outside, there was a a loud crash. Mama put her arm over Kirsten's shoulders. Don't fall off the bunk, she warned. Buckets tumbled over one another, and old Mr. Peterson's trunk skidded across the wet floor. The lantern swung wildly, and then dropped into the table. Um, and then pause here, because there's, like, a little picture, a little illustration, um, and the caption is, the waves beat against the ship's hull next to Kirsten's head, and the ship tossed as though it might tip over, which I think is a sentence that I just read, um, and it's, like, a little drawing of the lantern and the bunk bed, and Kirsten's in the bed with her mom, and it's kind of cute, but the mom looks kind of scary. Okay, back to the book. Mama, Lars says the coast is full of rocks. Do you think we've blown onto them? Kirsten asked. She could barely hear the, her own words above the roar of the storm. Don't think about the rocks, Mama said. Let's think about Uncle Olaf's letter instead. Do you remember your Uncle Olaf? 
Kirsten had heard about Uncle Olaf so many times that she thought she remembered him. Tell me, she said. She snuggled close to Mama and tried not to think about the howling storm. Olaf left Sweden six years ago when you were just three, Mama said. He thought he could make a better life in America. And last year, he wrote to tell us about his new farm. The land is rich and good there, and he needs our help. In Minnesota, Kirsten said, Kirsten said, stumbling over the strange word. Yes, in Minnesota, Mama answered. Now you tell me something. Uncle Olaf married Aunt Inger in America, Kirsten said. She thought this was the best part of the story. Aunt Inger came from Sweden, too. That's right, said Mama. Olaf said he married a widow with two daughters. My cousins, Anna and Lisbeth, Kirsten finished. We'll be friends, don't you think? Of course, said Mama. We'll live on the same farm and they'll be right next door. The waves still pounded against the ship. In the dark hold, Kirsten hugged Sari's rag body and whispered, We're almost there. We're almost home. She tried to imagine a farm right next door to her new cousins. She hoped this American home would be just like the one she left in Sweden, with a maple tree by the door. When the storm finally passed, Kirsten felt like a barn owl she'd once fished out of the well. The barn cat she'd once fished out of the well. Okay, um, um, redo that. When the storm passed, Kirsten felt like the barn cat she'd once fished out of the well. Her skirt and shawl were wet and stained, her boots were soaked, but everyone was safe and the sky was clear, and the eagle was sailing toward the green coast once more. Kirsten watched the seagull swoop and dive as she stood on the deck with Mama and Papa. I smell the earth again, Papa's voice boomed. He held Peter, who's five, on his hip. And I guess that clears up the question of if Peter's younger or older. Peter is younger. Peter's the baby. Okay. Mama smiled at the shore as though she greeted a friend. She leaned towards Papa, and Kirsten heard her whisper, So many times I'd lost hope we'd all make it to America. You're a brave woman, Papa answered. You have heart. I'm proud of you and our children. Kirsten's brother Lars, who was always talking with the sailors, pushed the way through the crowd just then. The sailors said we'll land in New York tomorrow morning, Lars said. That's wonderful, Mama replied. We'll have fresh bread for breakfast and find a place to wash our clothes. They say we can't leave the ship until the health inspector lets us, Lars added. Who's the health inspector? Kirsten asked. He's a doctor who will look at everyone on the ship. No one who is sick can, who's, no one who is sick can stay in America, Lars explained. But Mama's sick, Peter cried. He held out his arms and Mama hugged him. Mama's only been seasick, Papa said in his deep voice. Almost everyone gets seasick on the ocean. The health inspector looks for illnesses like typhoid and cholera. Illnesses that kill people. No one on our ship has cholera, Lars said. That's right, Papa replied. You see, Peter, you don't need to worry. Let's see you smile again. Tomorrow we'll be in New York and then we'll start our journey to Minnesota. When the eagle finally docked in New York Harbor, and the health inspector said that they could leave the ship, Lars bounded down the gangplank. Peter scrambled right behind him, and Mama and Papa went next, then Kirsten. She held Sari tightly. Kirsten burst was bursting Kirsten was bursting to run and turned circles on the grass she saw near the docks. She was surprised when she stepped off the gangplank and the crowd seemed to spin around her, and the ground seemed to spin around her. In Sweden, it had been steady under her feet. Here in America, it swayed and rolled like the ship she just left. She grabbed Papa's hand. Why am I so dizzy? she asked. <laughs> we're used to all the we're all used to the rocking of the ship, Papa answered. Now you have to get used to the dry land all over again. For a minute, Kirsten stood still. When she turned and looked back at the eagle, 
she wait fuck okay wait for a minute kirsten stood still then she turned and looked back at the eagle when they boarded the small ship no one had known what to expect there had been dangerous storms at sea they had been sick but at last they had arrived in america what will happen now kirsten wondered but she was more curious than afraid on wobbly legs she followed mama and papa up the path into the park near the dock fun fact i knew someone named lars once and he was like at the time one of the worst people that i had ever met in my entire life and he was also really disgusting and i hated him um and also this kind of closely mimics part of rebecca's american football story which if you like i can read that to you too let me know okay chapter two lost kirsten sat under an oak tree with mama and peter she patted down the grass to make a bed for Sari. Although it was only June, the grass here in the park was already dry as straw. Somewhere so hot in America. Three months ago, when they left the farm in Sweden, Kirsten had needed her wool skirt and shawl. Now her clothes were much too heavy. Even, with that, even without her quilted petticoats, she was hot. Peter lay on his stomach, watching the road. He was on the lookout for Papa and Lars, who had gone to buy tickets for the rest of their journey. Papa promised that he would take Peter and Kirsten to buy bread and milk. Kirsten couldn't wait. She wanted to explore this new town, New York. But Mama wouldn't let her go by herself. Swedish children could easily get lost here in America, Mama warned. While Peter was gone, Kirsten watched the New Yorkers stroll by. The women and girls wore flowered dresses with lots of ruffles, and the men wore tight trousers and white jackets. Kirsten looked down at her own tattered clothes. The only fine thing she wore was the amber heart her grandmother had given her on the day they said goodbye. Oh my god, I remember looking at that in the catalogs, in the American Girl catalog, and I was like, oh, that's so cute. It almost made me want Kirsten, but she was kind of boring, so I never did. Anyways, so Kirsten says, this is what Kirsten says. Oh, mama, I wish we could wear such pretty dresses, Kirsten said. Only people, only the people from the ships look like this. Our clothes are dry and clean. We don't need to be ashamed, Mama answered. Her cheeks were pink again, and now she smiled. Besides, how could I milk a cow if I wore so many ruffles? Peter made a face. He hated to dress up, even for church. Then, his frown turned into a grin, and he jumped to his feet. Here come Papa and Lars, he called. Papa held a handful of, er, Lars held a handful of cherries, and Papa scooped up more fruit from the knapsack slung over his arm. He gave one big handful to Peter and another to Kirsten. Then he knelt beside Mama to share what was left. I've never seen such huge black cherries, Mama said. Everything in America is big, Lars announced. Wait until you see New York. And there will be more to see tomorrow, Papa added in a hearty voice. I just bought our trip tickets for the trip west. We leave in the morning. Did you find an honest agent? Mama asked with a worried frown. Old Mr. Peterson was cheated of his money by a dishonest agent. I didn't know there were so many thieves in America. Papa put his hand on his shoulder. Yes, our agent is a good man. He left Sweden four years ago and knows English very well. And he helped me change our money at the bank. Mama still sighed. It's such a long way to Minnesota, she said. But the agent will guide us all the way to the Mississippi River. He says we'll have to travel only a few weeks more, Papa replied. And now that we're on land, we'll get our strength back quickly. He smiled. Don't lose heart. Mama smiled back. No, I won't lose heart now. Peter tugged the sleeve of Papa's shirt. Let's go buy our milk and bread, he said. Mama handed Kirsten the milk pitcher. 
Stay close to your father, she warned Kirsten and Peter. Remember, you don't speak any English yet. Oh my god, should I have been doing all of this in like a Swedish accent? Hmm. <sighs> Lost opportunity. Oh well, next time. Papa took Peter's hand as they walked along the wide, crowded street called Broadway. Kirsten skipped beside them. She held the milk pitcher tightly in one arm and sorry in the other. Kirsten had never seen so many horses, so many wagons, buggies, carts. Men and women filled the sidewalks, children darting among them. In her small town in Sweden, Kirsten had known everyone she met. Here, everyone was a stranger. These Americans chattered, called, and shouted all around her, and Kirsten couldn't understand a single word they said. She walked with Papa past carts full of onions and potatoes. Chickens and ducks fluttered around and squawked in their coops as they waited to be sold. Papa, Kirsten begged, slow down. I want to look around. Here there were candy stores, shops that sold tobacco, candles, tinware, cloth. Oh, everything. Here's here's the bread shop, Papa said. Round loaves of wheat bread were stacked inside the shop window. Papa carefully counted out two American coins, and the shopkeeper gave him several rolls. He handed one to Kirsten and one to Peter. No, we'll get milk, he said. The fresh bread was soft and sweet. Kirsten tried to eat slowly to make it last. She kept her eye on Papa's broad shoulders as she walked down the busy street munching. She saw women holding huge baskets heaped with fruit. She couldn't understand what the women said, but the red berries in their baskets reminded her of delicious cloudberries her grandmother gathered in Sweden. Uh, Kirsten paused a moment by a gray-headed berry seller. Then, a boy carrying a track a tray whoa whoa uh-huh. okay then a boy carrying a tray of silvery fish bumped her she almost stumbled over a small black boy who polished a man's boots wait papa she called over the racket of the horse's hooves on the cobblestones but papa was gone kirsten had lost sight of him in the crowd clutching sorry kirsten ran she squeezed between women with their shopping baskets papa wait for me she called but she didn't see papa anywhere oh my god Lots of little boys chased through the street, but none of them was Peter. Maybe Papa and Peter are already at the milk shop, Kirsten thought. Maybe they're waiting for me to come with the milk pitcher. She hurried along, looking in each shop window for cheese barrels, for cheese and barrels of milk. Where was the milk shop? Was it on the other side of the street? Kirsten climbed through the... Ew. Okay, gross. Um, Kirsten climbed around pigs that poked their snouts in the trash of the gutter. Then she dodged in front of a buggy, ran across the street, and headed down the row of shops. She couldn't find the milk shop anywhere. And this side of the street was even more crowded with the shoppers. The babble of their voices made her head swim. Papa, Kirsten called. Her cry was lost in the noisy street. And here there's like a little illustration of little Kirsten stuck in an alleyway, and she's so afraid. She's clutching her doll in her pitcher, and there's a crowd of like faceless New Yorkers in the market. Um, and she looks so scared. OMG. Uh, and the caption is, Papa, Kirsten called. Her cry was lost in the noisy street. Um, okay, so picking up from there. Kirsten tucked her knuckles into her collar and hugged the milk pitcher tightly. Mama had said there were thieves in New York. A lot of thieves. They would steal anything. Papa, Papa, Kirsten shouted. Papa was nowhere to be found. Maybe I should go back to the park, Kirsten said to herself. Mama's waiting there. But now Kirsten realized she didn't know where the park was either. Oh my god. Which way had she come with Papa? How many corners had they turned? She asked a woman with a baby in her arms. Please, where's the park by the river? The woman kept walking as though she hadn't even heard Kirsten. 
The park? The Christian asked a tall boy with black hair. He said something to his friend, and they laughed at her. Ha ha ha. Help me, Kirsten cried out. Please, help me. No one even glanced at her. Couldn't anyone in this big crowd understand that she was lost? Sun reflected off the cobblestones, and the smell of garbage made Kirsten dizzy. Her head spun as though she were seasick on the ship, but this time she wasn't seasick. She was frightened. What if she couldn't find Papa? What if she couldn't find the park and Mama? What would happen to her in this huge city if she couldn't find her family? Again, she began to run. To, again, she began to run. She stumbled and bumped into barrels. When a dog nipped at her ankles, she didn't stop running. Now she was on a different part of the street where rough-looking men in bloody aprons sold wild game and meat. Guttered rabbits, squirrels, and deer hung from poles. Sides of pork dangled from sharp hooks. The buzz of flies hummed in her ears. She headed back the other way, but she seemed to have turned onto a whole different street. OMG. Um, the houses were all crowded together, and there were no shops at all. Papa would never look for her here, and every turn she took might lead her farther away from the park where Mama waited. Kirsten wanted to be brave. She wanted to have heart like Mama. But she sank down on the steps of a brown house, hid her face in her doll skirt, and wept. Tears ran between her fingers and dropped onto her lap. Oh, sorry, she cried. What if we can't find Mama and Papa? Will they go to Minnesota without us? And there's a little drawing of Kirsten with her little braids and her little doll and her little milk pitcher. And she's sitting on the steps and she's looking oh so distraught. No caption. After what seemed like a long time, Kirsten felt a touch on her shoulder. A brown-haired young woman in a long blue apron stood beside her. When the woman spoke, her voice was gentle. She seemed to want to know what was wrong. I'm lost, Kirsten said. The woman didn't understand. Duh, because you're literally speaking Swedish and this is America. Okay. She looked puzzled and shook her head and more tears ran down Kirsten's cheeks. The woman spoke again. Now she made a motion as if she were pouring. Did she want the milk pitcher? Kirsten clutched to her chest, and the woman went back inside the house. Sorry, what will we do? Kirsten sobbed, and then the woman was back. This time, she held out a tin cup of water. Gratefully, Kirsten drank until there wasn't a drop left. Duck, she said, which is Swedish for thank you, BTW. The woman smiled and sat down on the step. She understood thank you. Oh, yeah, duh, okay. But how could Kirsten tell her about Papa in the milk shop and the park near the ship where Mama was waiting? How could they understand each other if the words didn't match? Hopelessly, Kirsten traced the dust at her, fi- at her feet with her fingertip. Then she had an idea. If she couldn't talk, maybe a picture would talk for her. Carefully, Kirsten outlined the ship of the eagle in the dust. Then she drew, drew two big sails over the ship. She, point- she pulled at the corner of the woman's apron and pointed to her drawing. The woman smiled when she saw the picture. Quickly, she locked her door, put the key in her apron pocket, and motioned for Kirsten to follow her. Sorry, I'm burping. Give me a second. Okay. Um, I'm not sure Okay. At the end of the street, they turned into a smaller lane. After a few more turns, they were beside the river, where ships were docked. Far ahead, Kirsten could see the tall oak trees of Battery Park. Oh my god, Battery Park! That's in the Rebecca American Girl Ball series, too. Um, I'll, you know what? Never mind. Okay. And there was the eagle, tied to the dock. Kirsten ran. She saw the path leading to the park, and at the top of the path, she saw Mama and Papa. Mama, Papa, here I am, Kirsten shouted. Mama turned and shaded her eyes to look. Papa began to run down the path, his boots scattering gravel. Kirsten flung herself first into Papa's arms, then into Mama's. 
Kirsten, you frightened us, Papa said. We couldn't find you anywhere. I thought you were going to leave New York without me, Kirsten whispered against Mama's neck. Mama's shoulders smelled wonderfully of soap and dry grass. The sun made her hair look like gold. What? Mama said. We would never, never leave you. But how did you find your way back? Kirsten realized that the kind woman was gone. She pointed to her, walking along. She pointed to her, walking away along the path beside the river. I drew a picture of our ship, and that American lady helped me find it. Papa hugged Kirsten again. You're a very smart girl. She told he, You're a very smart girl. He told her, but be smart enough to stay right beside me the next time. Promise. I promise, Kirsten said, and meant it with all her heart. But, like, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of their fault, too, because if we go back to chapter one, when they're getting off the ship, like, both parents were in front of Kirsten. They clearly, like, don't get off. Like, someone needs to be rounding up the back. I understand letting the kids go in front of you because you can keep an eye on them, but you should not let the kids follow you unless you have another adult, like, sweeping, you know? I don't know. Not to victim blame, but... Mm, mm. Okay, next chapter soon. Okay, meet Kirsten chapter 3, Across the New Land. The next day, Kirsten and her family started a long journey across the country to Minnesota. Not even Papa could guess how long the trip would take. The agent will help us find our way and we'll see what happens, he said. At the top of the path into the park, Kirsten met Marta. We're leaving today, Kirsten said. Are you going too? Marta shook her head. Not until tomorrow, she replied. Oh no, I was so sure we'd be traveling together, exclaimed Kirsten. Me too, Marta answered softly. Are you going to take another ship now, Kirsten? No, I think we're going to take a train, Kirsten said. What do you think a train look? <laughs> Sorry, I know they're like little pioneer girls. Give me a second. <laughs> what do you think a train looks like, Marta? I don't know exactly. My father says it will make a loud noise and a lot of smoke. We might be afraid of trains, Marta said. Um, Kirsten grinned. Noise won't hurt us, she said. And Papa says a train is like many wagons all traveling together. Well, mm, many wagons all traveling together is what many wagons all traveling together is. Okay. Um, maybe you'll get on our train tomorrow. Won't that be lucky? Wouldn't that be lucky? Marta caught her lower lip between her teeth. Or maybe we won't ever see each other again, she said. That is sad. Okay. Kirsten took her friend's hand. But your family is going to Minnesota, just like mine is. We're sure to meet on the way. At least I hope so, she added. I'll miss you, Kirsten, Marcia murmured. Kirsten looked down at her dusty boots. Saying goodbye to the people she loved was the hardest thing in the world to do. She didn't want Marcia to see the tears that stung her eyes. I'm sorry, I'm still caught up on the train thing. That's really dumb of me. That's really mean. Okay. So she took a deep breath before she said, Marcia... I'll tell you what my grandmother said to me when we left Sweden. More more said. <laughs> when you're lonely, look at the sun. Remember, we all see the same sun. <laughs> Why are they called more more? Oh, so gross of Swedish people. Okay. Do, <laughs> do you do that? Marta asked. Do you look at the sun and think of your grandmother? When I miss more and more, <laughs> I look at the sun and pray for her, Kirsten said. Now Marta managed a small smile. Then when I miss you, I'll look at the sun. Will you do the same? Don't look at the sun, girl. You're going to burn your, like, corns out. Okay. 
Okay. Okay. No, never mind. Never mind. 1800s Swedes. I'm, I can't hold this against them. Of course they don't know what a train looks like. Of course they know not to stare into the sun. Okay. Yes. And I say a prayer. Yes. And say a prayer. I will. I'll say, God bless Marta. I'll say a prayer too, Marta agreed. And I'll be looking for you everywhere. Kirsten sighed. She was going to another new place. It seemed to her as if she would always feel like a Swedish girl who was far from home. Home. That's a place where you're happy. A place where you belong. How can America ever really be my home, she thought. Then she followed her parents down the path to meet the agent and ten new families. First, there's a fierce roar and a hiss. Then the long scream of a whistle. Kirsten's heart flip-flopped. Maybe Marta was right to be afraid of trains. The engine looked like a black iron horse, like a black iron house on fire. Ooh, zoinks. Okay, um, smoke boiled up from the giant smokestack. Live sparks and red coals showered down with the smoke. Kirsten stayed close to Mama, but Mama was worried too. She squeezed Kirsten's hand extra hard as they climbed aboard. Inside, the train was so hot it felt ready to explode. There was cold grit on the floor and cinders in the air. Kirsten could hardly get a, her breath. She saw that the windows had been nailed shut. The agent said the train would be safe for this way. Um, Papa and Lars stood near the door. Kirsten was squeezed between Mama and Peter on a bench under the windows. Trunks and bundles were piled up in front of them. Kirsten was used to being crowded, but now she felt that she were packed up inside their big painted trunk. Aren't we there yet? Peter complained. Hush, we haven't even started to move, Mama said. Some of the old folks closed their eyes, and Kirsten knew that they were praying that the train wouldn't catch on fire. Then it began to move. It bumped, lurched, and screeched over the metal rails. <laughs> Peter hid his face in Mama's lap. The men were quiet, and even Lars's eyes were wide. The train began to huff and chug. Through the small window, Kirsten saw houses and trees moving backwards. The huffing and chugging grew louder, and the trees went by very quickly. Lars called out, We're going faster than a horse can run! Faster than even the fastest horse can run! Dizzy Kirsten closed her eyes. Oh, wait, fuck, I lost my page. Um, okay. The train groaned and swayed. Even though she couldn't see, she felt the speed with which it carried them west. For days, the train traveled through the fields and forests. When they stopped for water, a man from the railroad opened the door for a few minutes, but the air stayed hot and hard to breathe. Everyone was quiet, dazed by the heat. Now and then, Mama opened the food trunk, but not even Lars was very hungry. When Kirsten caught his eye, he gave her a sad smile. She knew he hated to be trapped inside even more than she did. At last, they reached Chicago. A hot, strong dirt blew up from the streets, but Kirsten didn't care how dirty it was. Here she could walk again, and run. Papa said that in a few days, they would join a big group of pioneers traveling to the Mississippi River in wagons. But first, they had rest here, in a boarding house. It, would, it was good to be in a house again, although this boarding house reminded Kirsten of their big barn in Sweden. The long, open sleeping room upstairs was like the loft where Papa stored hay, except it was filled with a row after row of beds and crowded with people's belongings. In the kitchen... There were big tubs for Mama to wash their clothes in. For Mama to wash their clothes in. When the laundry was finished, Mama sent Kirsten and Peter out into the backyard to get some sun. Kirsten found herself on a long porch filled with children. She was used to smiling at other girls, wishing she spoke their language, 
so that they could talk to each other. But now she heard someone call her name. Kirsten Larson! Oh my god, it was Marta. Her thick braids swinging, she ran from the rows of shirts and underwear drying on the clotheslines. She grabbed Kirsten's shoulders, Kirsten grabbed Marta's waist, and they whirled and whirled. You're here, you're here, Kirsten repeated over and over. So are you, Marta answered again and again. Oh my god, that's so cute, actually. Um, that evening, Marta's family sat down with Kirsten's family for roast pork and potatoes. Marta's father said, we're back with our friends again. We'll stay together now until we get to Minnesota. Under the table, Kirsten and Marta held hands. Kirsten couldn't believe her good luck. At last, America was beginning to feel like home, with good food, a real bed to sleep in, and best of all, friends. And then, oh my god, there's a little illustration, wouldn't you know? And it is of Kirsten and Marta, and they are just hugging each other and twirling around, and they are so cute. Laundry's flying up around them, Marta's got her little braid in, Kirsten has her little, like, hair loopies going on, and they're just grinning. They're so adorable. Wow. Wow. Okay, so last chapter ran a little bit longer than usual because I was being a little bit mean to Kirsten and her adorable friend Marta. But here is chapter four, and it's titled A Sad Journey, and I'm a little bit worried, I don't know about you, I'm a little bit worried about what makes it sad. I'm a little fretting that someone's going to die. These American Girl doll books, they get kind of dark. Okay, here it is. Kirsten liked the Mississippi River boat the moment she saw it. It was white with a pair of wings painted in bright red on the sides. The boat was named the Red Wing, like the Red Wing blackbirds that called to one another along the riverbank. The Red Wing had broad decks and a big paddle wheel. Right away, Kirsten wanted to run upstairs to the wide upper deck. She grabbed Marta's hand, ducked under a rope, and skipped up the steps. But before they were to the top step, a sailor stopped them. They didn't understand his words, but they knew his gesture meant, Get down! That evening, they ate their, ma- their meal of dried pork and bread. Um, and Kirsten asked Papa, Why can't we go up on the big deck? No one's out there. The deck's for, the deck's for rich people, Papa said. If we paid more money, could we go up there? asked Kirsten. Papa rubbed his forehead. We only have a little money left, Kirsten, and when we leave this far- this boat, we'll still have to hire a wagon to reach Olaf's farm. You've managed our money well, Papa said to Mama said to Papa. To Kirsten she said crossly, Don't ask for so much. Kirsten was surprised. Mama never talked harshly to her. Why is she cross now? Their long trip was almost over. In a few days they would be at Uncle Olaf's. Kirsten looked closely at her mother. What's wrong, Mama? She asked. Mama said softly, I'm cross because I'm worried. As we boarded the boat, the sailors were burying a passenger who died of cholera. Don't worry so, Lars said to Mama. We won't get sick. Look at us. We're healthy. Lars was right. They were strong from walking beside the wagons on the way to the river and tanned from the prairie sun. But Mama didn't smile. Cholera kills strong ones just like weak ones, she said. Pray to God that we stop, that we get safely to Uncle Olaf's. For two days, Kirsten and Marta played together on the riverboat. They watched the hawks circling overhead and counted the fish that jumped from the water. Oh, shit. This is not good. Oh, I just ran ahead and this is not good. Prepare yourself. Okay. But the third morning, Marta wasn't on the small deck where they were allowed to walk. Marta's father was there alone. He stood at the railing, staring straight ahead at the wide brown river. Where's Marta? Kirsten asked him. 
Our march is very sick, he said. He gripped the railing so tightly that his knuckles were white. With cholera. Kirsten's head buzzed. Cholera. Last night after supper, Marta had played with her right here on the deck. Last night, Marta was perfectly fine. She couldn't have cholera now. How can she be sick? Kirsten asked. She was so well yesterday. Um, she was well yesterday. During the night, she doubled up with pain in her belly. Now she aches and moans and burns with a fever. The captain made us take her into the sick bay. He said, Can I go see her? Marta's father took Kirsten's wrist firmly. No, Kirsten, you mustn't. You could get sick, too. Marta's mother is with her. That's all we can do now. But Kirsten had to see Marta. She ran below the decks to the part of the boat called the sick bay. Marta was there, lying on a straw mat near the entrance. Her knees were drawn up to her chest. Her mouth was open as though she couldn't breathe. When Marta, when her mother tried to wipe her forehead, Marta trembled and moaned. Her lips were dry and cracked, and her eyelids fluttered. Marta, Kirsten whispered. She took a step toward her friend, but Marta's mother sent her away. Go back to your family, Kirsten. It's dangerous for you here. Marta will get better. You'll see. Still, Kirsten stayed near the sick bay until Mama found her. I've looked for you everywhere, Mama said. There's nothing we can do for Marta. Not with cholera. You must take care of yourself, Kirsten. Stay close to me and Papa, please. So Kirsten stayed close to Mama, but her thoughts were with her sick friend. She told herself that Marta would get well. Over and over, she said, she must get well. Kirsten wasn't able to eat, and that night she was sure that she would never sleep. But she fell into a restless doze. Later, she woke with a start. Something was terribly wrong, but in her sleep, she'd forgotten what it could be. Then she remembered Marta. Oh, dear. There's a little illustration, and it's Kirsten's little face peeking through the curtains of the sick bay, looking at Marta, who's lying down and is sick, and her mom's looking down at her. Mm, okay, no caption. Kirsten ran down to the sick bay. Through the parted curtains, she saw that Marta was gone. She's better then, Kirsten thought. She ran up to the deck to find her friend. I'm gonna burp again. Give me a second. Okay. The sun was just rising. The riverboat was anchored at the sandy beach below the tall bluffs. Below tall bluffs. A gangplank had been lowered for some sailors who carried a wooden box on their shoulders. They walked along the shore. Marta's father stood at the railing where Kirsten had seen him last. His arm was around Marta's mother. Kirsten grabbed Marta's father's sleeve. Where's Marta? she asked. He pointed to the sailors with their box. Our Marta died last night, Kirsten. The, sail the sailors will bury her here. Her soul is in heaven. Then he hid his face in his hand. She can't be dead, Kirsten cried. She can't be. Kirsten felt as though her heart was ripped in two. She heard deep sobs that hardly seemed her own. They filled up her chest. She tried to say her friend's name, but her lips couldn't form the words. Then Kirsten felt Mama's arm around her, and Papa patted her shoulder. Enough crying. Stop now, Kirsten, he said. But Mama cradled her softly and said, Let her have her tears. And then there's a little illustration of poor little Kirsten in her little plaid dress and... You know, she's leaning on her mom's shoulder. Her mom's hugging her and patting her little hair loopy. She's looking out at the gangplank, and guess what she's seeing? She's seeing the silhouette of sailors and their shovels and the wooden box that has the body of her fellow nine-year-old best friend, which I feel like came really early in the book. I mean, really, 
It's a lot. It's a lot for poor Kirsten. I feel bad for her. That was a sad journey. Okay, next chapter. Chapter 5, Home at Last. It was raining when the Larsons left the Red Wing. Kirsten didn't watch the riverboat pull away from the dock. She didn't ever want to see that boat again because Marta had died on it. She was lonely for Marta, and there wasn't any sun in Minnesota to look at with a prayer. So Kirsten looked at the town of Riverton. Oh, that is such a shit name. Okay. She saw wet houses, wet trees, and wet horses pulling wagons loaded with wet logs. She blinked into the rain. God bless you, Marta, she whispered. Mama touched her cheek. Cheer up, Kirsten. When Papa and the boys come back with the, wab- with the wagon, it will only take a few hours to reach Love's farm. Mm, don't, like, no need to cheer up, because your best friend just died, and you're nine years old. Mm, okay. But Papa frowned with worry when he strode back to the dock, where Kirsten and Mama waited. We don't have enough money left to rent a horse and wagon, he said. March- Mama's shoulders slumped. What will we do? she asked. Papa made his voice strong. We have our good legs. <laughs> we'll walk to Olaf's farm. We'll just have to leave the trunks here. Okay. Mama looked first at the big painted trunk that held their most precious things, then at the black food trunk with Papa's name lettered on its side. Everything we own in the world is in these trunks, she said sadly. How can we get along without our clothes and your tools? We'll take what we can carry now, and we'll have the trunk shipped later, Papa said. Don't lose heart. He began taking blankets and tools from the big trunk. After a moment, Mama said, It can't be helped. We'll send for them soon. People are people are more important than things, and we're all together and well, thank God. I mean, like, except for Marta, okay? Um, she made a bundle of the bread and cheese that was left, and then closed the food trunk. Papa said, We need everyone's hands today. Kirsten, you must put your doll in here with the other things. You can get her again when the trunks are shipped to us. Kirsten knew she couldn't say no to Papa. Gently, she put Sari on top of the sweaters, the linens, and the painted trunk. Before Papa closed the top, she kissed Sari's faded cheek. You'll be with me soon, she whispered. Then Papa fastened the lock, and he and Lars grabbed the trunk, grabbed the trunks to the warehouse. There's a little photo. There's a little, it's not a photo. There's a little colored pencil illustration. It's Kirsten looking sadly at her doll, and she lays in, in the really cute trunk. Um, and, and, yeah, no, that's pretty much it. Okay. The family followed Papa down the road, along the river, past tiny houses built of split logs. Everyone carried a bundle, and they walked for hours. Kirsten, Kirsten's boots were heavy with mud. Her wool skirt, her, oh my god, oh, this is so embarrassing. Okay. Her wool skirt was soaked through to her petticoat. Sometimes she heard a cow moo, but there were long stretches of forest or prairie between farms. Even Lars was tired now. He walked with his head down, his long hair plastered to his neck by the rain. By by afternoon, the rain had stopped. The sky was a smooth blue bowl. Meadow larks flew up from the fields, and daisies and black-eyed Susans bloomed beside the road. The Larsons were a long, long way from town when they stopped to eat lunch. Olav wrote us the truth, Papa said. The soil here is good. We'll have a better life. Before they walked on, Kirsten picked a daisy for Mama to wear on her collar. Now, Papa asked the way at each farm they passed. At last, he said, the next one is Olaf's. In the distance, Kirsten could see a house, a large barn, and a tiny cabin. Cows ambled down the field towards the barn to be milked. 
Smoke rose from the chimney of the house. Lars and Peter began to run, splashing through puddles. Lars shouted, Hello! And Peter cried, We're here! We're here! A man with a smile like Papa's came from the barn. Two girls and a woman ran from the house. They waved and called out, Hello! Hello! It's you! At last! Suddenly, Kirsten was shy. She shrank back behind Mama. Then she heard her own name above the shouts and laughter. Kirsten? You must be Kirsten! The taller girl, who had brown braids and gray eyes, took the heavy bundle from Kirsten's arms. I'm Lisbeth. I've watched for you every single day. The little girl with rosy cheeks crowded in. I've watched too. I'm Anna. Anna? I think it's Anna, right? Because it's like frozen. Because it's all like Scandinavian. Okay, Anna. Um, everyone was hugging. Aunt Inger, Aunt Inger tried to get all the children into her arms at the same time. Papa and Uncle Olaf pounded each other's shoulders. Uncle Olaf grabbed Lars and then lifted Peter off his feet. Mama cried, Aunt Inger cried, and then they started hugging all over again. And then there's like a little illustration and it's got like leaves at the top, like a cute little frame almost. Um, and then it's like a fence post situation and then these giant like wide open fields and these little flowers on the bottom, some trees, farmhouse. Um... I can't really tell. I guess those are the three. That's Anna and Inger and Lisbeth, like, coming out to greet them. There's, like, three figures, and they're dancing. Not dancing. But they've got their, like, little skirts and aprons or whatever. Um, okay. Caption, hello, hello, it's you at last. Yeah, so then it must be them. Okay. Okay, cool. Glad we got that cleared up. Uncle Olaf said, come see the barn. No, you don't, Anna Inger said. What? Her smiling face was flushed and red. First, we'll have supper. They're tired and hungry, Olaf. They've come halfway through the world to get here. Halfway around the world to get here. And we've walked all day long. Oh, wait, fuck. That's not Papa, that's Peter. And we've walked all day long, Peter added. Aunt Inger hugged Peter again. Then she turned to Mama and Papa. You can get settled in your cabin after supper, she said. And tomorrow you men can look at the barn while we women talk. Now come in and eat. From the doorway, Kirsten saw fresh bread and butter and a big bowl of potatoes, as well as a platter of fresh fish on Aunt Inger's long wooden table. Her mouth watered when she noticed a berry tart cooling on the back of the stove. Don't worry about a little mud, Aunt Inger said as they began taking off their boots. Then she saw that their clothes were wet too. But look how you're soaked through, she added. You'll catch cold. Let's find you some dry things right now. She bustled to a painted trunk like the one Kirsten's family had left in Riverton. From the trunk, she took men's brown trousers and white shirts, a blue cotton dress for Mama, and another one for Kirsten. This was Lisbeth's, but she's outgrown it. It will do for now, Aunt Inger said. Go put it on. Come right down for supper. Oh my god, I'm gonna burp again. I'm so sorry. Uh, I like keep drinking lemonade. Mm. Anyways. Kirsten followed Lisbeth and Anna up the ladder to their places in the loft. Anna gave her a... Anna gave her a piece of worn quilt to dry her wet arms and legs. Tomorrow I'll show you our secret fort, she said. Lisbeth and I play there with our dolls. We'll tell you all about it later, Lisbeth added. She handed Kirsten a petticoat. But let's hurry now. We're hungry and I bet you are too. The dress from Aunt Inger was painted with little red flowers. Kirsten pulled the soft cotton over her head and Lisbeth did up the buttons. Now Kirsten was dressed just like her cousins. She followed them down the ladder into the cozy kitchen. When Aunt Inger saw Kirsten, she laughed and pretended to be surprised. 
Who's this new girl? She asked. Have I met her before? I kind of like on anger, to be honest with you. She seems nice. She seems cute. Okay. Mama took Kirsten's hand and turned her around for a good look. Why, don't you recognize Kirsten Larson, my American daughter? The next morning, my American girl, if you will. Oh my god. Um, okay, the next morning, Kirsten woke up in her very own bed in a small log cabin on Uncle Olaf's farm. The cabin was made of split logs. It had a bare plank floor, a small fireplace, and one tiny window. Through the window, Kirsten could see a maple tree. Oh, I'm home, she thought. My cousins live right next door. We'll be friends. The morning sun was already hot and grasshoppers jumped in the long grass when Lisbeth and Anna held, led Kirsten down the path. Kirsten, ah, uh, when Lisbeth and Anna led Kirsten down the path toward the stream. You didn't tell your brothers about our fort, did you? Anna asked. Our fort is only for girls. Anna's cheerful round face made Kirsten smile. No, Anna, I didn't tell them about the fort. I can keep a secret. I promise, she said. Oh, good. Anna carried her rag doll under her arm. The doll's smiling painted face made Christian miss sorry all over again. Lisbeth held up her hand for them to stop walking. Is anyone coming? She asked Anna. <laughs> Anna scampered back a few steps and looked down the path they followed through the woods. No one's coming. We're alone. Follow me, then, Lisbeth told Christian. She lifted up a pine branch and stepped off the trail into the woods. A carpet of sweet-smelling pine needles covered the ground under the trees. We go to our fort through the pines so we won't leave any footprints, Anna explained. We don't want anyone to know where we are. Here's the entrance, Lisbeth said. She went down on her knees and crawled into a tunnel made of sumac branches. Kirsten tucked up the skirt of her new dress and crawled after her. The tunnel ended under the green branches of a wild cherry tree. Lisbeth sat back on her heels. Here's our fort, Kirsten. Anna pulled off her sunbonnet and hung it from a branch. Do you like it here? She asked. Kirsten looked around. The overhanging branches made a small, cool room under the tree. She let a long breath. <sighs> oh, yes, she said. Here's where our dolls sleep, Lisbeth said. She laid her doll on a bed made of sticks tied together at the corners with braided grass. Now come up to the loft. Hold tightly so you don't fall. She grabbed the lowest limb of the tree and pulled herself up into the branches. Kirsten gave Anna a boost up and then climbed after her onto a strong limb. Here's where we keep a lookout for boys, Anna said, swinging her legs. Of course, we've never seen a boy in the woods, but with Lars and Peter here, we might. If we see a boy, we'll get down low and stay quiet, Lisbeth said. That's one of our rules, Kirsten. Do you promise to keep the rules? I promise to keep all your rules, Kirsten said. She looked out over the trees. When she left Sweden, she never imagined she was on her way to be to a hiding place in a cherry tree. Since you live here now, you must have a place in our fort just for your doll, Lisbeth said. Choose where, Anna insisted. Kirsten peered down through the branches into the fort below. Mm, there, Kirsten said, and she pointed to a moss-covered spot. She scooted down the tree and patted the moss. It was soft and cool. Oh, sorry I would like it here. Anna climbed down too. She got her doll and walked her across the fort to Sari's spot. I'm coming to visit, she made her I'm coming to visit, she made her doll say. Where is Sari? Sari's still on her way, Kishan answered. But come visit me. I'm here. Um, and then it ends with like a tiny little 
illustration of Kirsten's bonnet. There have been little illustrations throughout all the chapters, but I haven't described all of them because there are a lot of them. Um, and then on the page before what we just read, like in between what we just read, another full page illustration. Um, and it's all three girls sitting in a tree and they're so cute. They're like pointing and having fun. I don't know, Elizabeth seems like a little bit old to be participating in all of this, to be honest with you, but they're cute. Anna and Kirsten look exactly the same. Okay. Okay, so, looking back, 1854, which is when this, uh, little novel, can you call it that, takes place. A peek into the past. Um, so there's, like, a little fake torn paper situation, America in 1854, and there's a photograph, like, a proper photograph, um, of some immigrants. I can only assume that they're Swedish, quite frankly. Um, and they're just, like, standing there looking at the photographer. Uh, and then this is what it says. When Kirsten's family came to America, they fit all of their belongings into two big trunks. If your family decided to move to another country, could you do that? How would you know what to bring with you? What would you leave behind? One of your relatives probably had to make decisions just like these, because there's a story like Kirsten's in nearly every American family. Like, not necessarily. I understand that this is written in, like, the Stone Age, but... Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about that one. Okay. Most people who live in the United States today had relatives who were immigrants. People who left their home country and moved to America to start a new life. They might have settled here more than 100 years ago, or they may have come more recently. Immigrants still come to the United States today. I do I do enjoy like the pro-immigrant stance that they're taking, the American Girl Dolls, the Pleasant Company. Um, but I, I don't know. Well, you know what? We'll do a reflections chapter at the end of this. That'll be nice for all of us. Uh, many of the early immigrants came from countries where farmland was poor. People were starving because they could not grow enough food. Like Kirsten and her family, they came to America because they wanted new land and a chance for a better life. Immigrants who had already come to America wrote letters back home to their neighbors and relatives, telling them that life in America was good. The land is rich, they wrote. The grass is so thick that in one day we can cut enough to feed a cow for a whole winter. They encouraged others to join them on the frontier in places like Minnesota, where there is plenty of good land for everyone who is willing to work hard. People who decided to go to America could bring only the most important things with them. They filled their big trunks with clothes, blankets, tools, and food for their trip. They also packed things that would remind them of the people they loved and the places they left behind. A woman like Mama made room for a beautiful cloth that her mother had woven, or for a bowl that her father had carved, or for the wooden molds that she always used to decorate butter or cheese. What do you think a girl like Kirsten might have squeezed in? Um, there's like a little illustration thing uh, that I'll just, like, it's a lot to describe, so I'm just going to put the picture into the video, I guess. Um, the caption is, a Swedish family reads a letter from relatives in America. And then on top, on the next page, there's, like, an illustration of a trunk with all this shit in it. Um, and then on the bottom of the page, there's, I don't know, like, pioneers in a wagon? Anyways. When the trunks were finally packed, a family had to travel to a port city and wait until a ship like the Eagle was ready to sail for America. These ships were filled with cargo like lumber and iron. So there was only small space on them for people. Immigrants traveled in the part of the ship called steerage. People in steerage were cramped and uncomfortable. 
The ceiling was so low that a man couldn't stand up straight. There were no windows for light or fresh air. There were no bathrooms, and it was hard to get clean water for drinking or washing. There's actually, like, a lot of pictures in this section, so I'm just going to put them on the screen, like, normally. Maybe I'll do that for all the pictures. We'll see. Mm, I'm not going to describe them, though. Probably. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm not. There's no room for bathrooms, and it was hard to get clean water for drinking or washing. Families slept on narrow wooden bunks that were covered with straw. Often, two or more people shared a bunk that was smaller than your bed is. Usually, a mother cooked her family's meal on the ship's deck. At the beginning of the voyage, a family's food was fresh. But there were no refrigerators in 1854, so the food soon spoiled. Before the passengers reached land, even their salted meat was rotten and their bread was moldy. Still, they ate this food because it was all that they had. When Kirsten came to America, a very fast ship could sail across the ocean in six weeks. If the wind was bad, the trip would take much longer. Sometimes, immigrants died in storms and shipwrecks on the way to America, and even with good weather, many passengers got seasick. Some of them got terrible diseases, such as cholera. Yeah, probably because you just said they had no clean water. Ew. Um, once an immigrant family arrived safely in America, the dangers of the trip were not over. Most immigrants could not speak English, and they did not have anyone to help them buy fresh food or train tickets for their trip to the frontier. Sometimes, thieves robbed or cheated the immigrants. Immigrating to America in 1854 was certainly dangerous, but it was exciting, too. If Kirsten's family had stayed in Sweden, she would never have seen the ocean or even a town more than 20 miles from the place she was born. Because they became immigrants, she traveled halfway around the world. She saw machines she had never dreamed of, like trains um, and paddlewheel boats, uh, and she saw busy cities like New York and Chicago. She saw long stretches of open prairie and miles of rich farmland. And at the end of her journey, she had a new home and a new land, with a life full of opportunity ahead of her. And like a dead best friend. And no dolls. Okay, that's the end of book one. Okay, meet Kirsten Reflections. Um, lots of... I mean, I guess this was one of the first American Girl Ball books, so technically it didn't copy the other ones. But I read the other ones first, so in my mind, this did copy the other ones. Kind of reflects some of the other ones that I read, most specifically the Rebecca series, because Rebecca also... But like kind of a reverse, because Rebecca was already American, but she had a cousin come from, like, Russia on a boat and immigrate to America so that was kind of like felt a little bit played out I don't know Mm, it was pretty good I enjoyed it what did what do you think what was your let's see what were the questions do you think that if your family decided to move to another country that you could do it um yes I do think that because they've done that before uh how would you know what to bring with you well like post-it notes what would you leave behind all the stuff that i wouldn't bring with me um and then i think that it's interesting that they were talking about um, immigration and whatever and be like most american families had this but it's like okay but at the same time pleasant company you also had your slave doll and your native american girl doll so it's like yeah but think about think about it like let's put a little bit of critical thinking in there um but i have not read either of those book series yet 
but they do have them. I found them downloadable in PDFs, so if you want to hear that, if you want to, um, if this wasn't too insufferable for you, maybe after I finish the Kirsten series, I'll read Kaya, an American Girl doll, and Addie, an American Girl doll. I've actually read the first Kaya book, but I have not read any of the others, um, and it was, like, not my favorite, but actually they kind of have two, I don't know if Josefina counts as an if through today's political lens, I guess she would also be an indigenous American girl doll. She was, like, the Mexican one, but I'm not sure if she was in, like, Mexico, Mexico, or, like, New Mexico, or Texas, or something. Um, but I read her series. I had, I think, her whole series. And I read it a bunch. Um, and I had her doll, and I loved her, because she was brown, and I was like, ah, oh, yes, slay. And this was before the American girl's the American Girl dolls had, like, different eye shapes and nose shapes. They were kind of mostly all the same face mold, so I could, like, project myself onto Josefina. But Josefina's full name was Josefina Montoya, and I was a child, so I had not seen The Princess Bride yet, but I had an aunt, and I was being really serious. I was seriously, like, in love with American Girl dolls. And I was like, her name is Josefina Montoya, actually. It's not Josefina. So I was like, I'm cultured. I know that the J is actually an H. And my aunt obviously was an adult who had seen The Princess Bride. And she was like, my name is Josefina Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And she said that a bunch of times. And I didn't get it. And it made me really mad. But looking back on it, it was kind of funny of her. <sighs> Anyways, yeah. I hope you enjoyed. Book two coming soon. <laughs>